and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Katie. And hey there, I am Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast it's a podcast it is and today we are filming episode 19 oh my gosh huh (laughs) oh my gosh so we have officially been doing this uh over five months now which i know people are like oh you do an episode a week uh that's really that math it's like 4, 8, 12, 16, like maybe, okay, I'm dumb. Math is not my strong suit. What? <laughs> it's been since April. We published the first episode in April, but we started we started recording in early April, and I don't think we, we put our first episode out until like April 28th or something like that. So, yeah, we've been recording since early April. I feel I think. like it maybe is, late March. Yeah, I feel like it was closer to late March because there's been, believe it or not, there's been me and Katie were so ahead filming that I think we actually skipped like two weeks at this point, too. Yeah, we did because we were like three weeks ahead, which is kind of nice because we can skip a week or two, you know, if one of us has something going on as long as we film the next episode. Um, and we just released our first guest episode. Our friend Lydia came on, and I think it's one of our best episodes. Oh, so yeah. Far, honestly. I will say, personally, I don't know if you agree with this, Katie, but my two favorite episodes I love are, um, actually, I'll say three episodes. So I love our Double Feature episodes. I love her Hereditary Midsummer episode, which is one of our first. Um, if not our first, it may be Even though first. it is our first, but it, okay. even though I talk way too much during it. It's cringe-tastic. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's Katie didn't know to shut up. In the first it episode. is it is hard we 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 are learning we're still learning with every episode um i do love the under silver lake and um it follows episode and mm-hmm. i did love our portrait of a lady on fire episode i think those are my top three currently that may change yeah. on but portrait of a lady on fire is definitely my favorite one that like the like the resulting episode was probably the most enjoyable to listen back to as i was editing it um I still really like talking about Blue Velvet, but that's probably just because I really like David Lynch. Blue Velvet <laughs> is like one of those movies. It's kind of like, okay, it's not the same, but I think Blue Velvet is a little bit similar to how I feel about Fight Club. Like you have like a love affair yeah. with this and you've watched it so many times. And then I come in, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Blue Velvet. I do love Blue Velvet. I think Portrait was so good because like we all had we had differing opinions and I, but not, but respectful differing opinions. Yeah. So like, and that's why I was laughing so hard. Cause Lydia was like, every time I was like, you know, I don't really like this. And Lydia's like face is just like, ah, and I was like, no, 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 no. It's okay. Like, it's like, so that's, funny. Like as much as like the podcast is really about the talking. Uh, sometimes I miss like the visual cues that you have when we make certain looks. Like if one of us say something, it's like, wait, what? Like what? the wheels are turning in the head. 
Which, if I ever get back to publishing the episodes on YouTube, I probably won't publish the portrait of a lady on fire because I didn't warn Lydia ahead of time to be like, hey, we might be on camera. I forgot. And then I was just like, you know what? That's unfair. Uh, like, for viewers at home, um, I, should, I should mention you can't see us, but Katie's always incredibly put together. Her hair is like curled and she has beautiful lipstick on. And then me, I'm seeing over here with a fucking shawl on, like over a t shirt. Like, I'm like, you, I'm tired. I have a t shirt on today, though. <laughs> it, it says, I like to say it in Canadian. I'm sorry. If, I, I hope I don't offend my Canadian, but it says, give a hoot. And I don't know why, but I always think you have to say give a hoot, like in like a Canadian Wisconsin voice. But it has it's, a little owl on it. So it's not funny uh, for people that do have traumatic brain injuries. But um, I often drop into accents accidentally and I don't know where the hell it comes from. Like I'll be talking, I'll just say a certain word, and I'm like, that is not the way English speaking audience say words. I and think sometimes I pick up people I'm talking to's accents. Oh, embarrassing. I think it may be like the acting like part of your brain that it's like, yeah, you mimic, you mimic the conversation kind of when you're talking to someone. Yeah, it's just very embarrassing. But also, like, I'm not such an asshole that I hope that I like go around in real life situations with fake accents. Like, I swear, especially younger people who want attention do this. Like, I remember yeah. me and my sister who also has an acting degree. Uh, would like walk around a flea market with British accents like yes we are from Britain yes absolutely uh yeah and we're it's not that we weren't very good at it we're just like Harry Potter oh yes. my gosh like it was terrible well I was checking out of the Publix by my house one this is years ago I think with my friend Elizabeth and there was this guy and he like was pre I'm pretty sure he was pretending to have an Irish accent and like I feel really bad but I <laughs> If somebody walks into my office or, like, my life in Alabama with a super, like, strong European accent, like, an Irish accent or a British accent, sometimes they're just so good that I'm like, are you faking it? Because it sounds like you're faking it. But this was, like, a young person, and I'm pretty sure he was faking it. And it pissed me off because I was just like, you're such a dick. Like, he was just being such a dick about it. And I was like, I'm not falling for this one bit. I literally had a um, coworker a couple years back, and a couple years back, a couple years back, and she was a true Australian. And I feel bad because she was one of those type of women. She wasn't very conversational. She was polite. She could carry on a conversation with you if you were talking to her, but she did not go out of her way to have conversations. And she would say something, and people would be like, "Oh my God, just keep talking. I love your voice." And she'd be like, "Oh yeah, thank you." Like you know, it was just like. I can't do an Australian accent very well at all. But it's I might. Yeah, people like, would just beg her to talk, like, which is embarrassing too. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know they think it's complimentary, but like, I just kind of ignore when people have accents, unless like I think I know where it's from. Like, I'll ask them politely. I was like, okay, I have to know what. Where's your accent from? But I usually save it until the end of the conversation, where I've talked to the person and had an actual conversation. Like, <laughs> oh. Being, hey. oh hey. The puppies, the puppies are getting excited. Don't worry. All is well. All is well. All is well. All is well. My nephew is about to be neutered because he still has a hunching problem. But it's okay. Yes. So the the nephew, the, the dog nephew. Not yeah. The, not, not, the, <laughs> not your real I nephew. Sorry, I should <laughs> My human nephew does not have a hunching problem. Uh, 
at least not uh, yet. Thank God. Brittany, uh, her fur baby nephew Bowser, who's a dog, yes. is getting neutered because he has a bit of a humping problem and he needs to be neutered. And sometimes her dogs, when they're hanging out, get a little frustrated with that, as one would. Yeah, it's kind of like, so it's it's very sad situation because Mabel, um, our girl, Mabel will like growl and let him know like, hey, leave me alone. But my, my dog Riley, my boy, he is kind of like very a soft touch. And he'll just lay there terrified with his eyes really big while Bowser's like humping his head. And I'm like, Bowser, no, get off. Like, why the head? You would, I don't know. You I think, think it's like, just anything that like he can make connections. So if they're playing, he has like his paws on his neck. He's like, oh, I can hump his head. And he just starts going for it. Oh my gosh. Poor yeah. old Bowser. I'm, I think I he'll actually be happier after he's neutered because he probably won't like have the urge to hump people's heads. Yeah, exactly. And he's a, he's a good boy. He's very sweet. Um, for our viewers who have no idea what he looks like, he is actually a Sharpay pit bull mix. Um, so he looks like a pit bull with a bunch of fat rolls. Um, yeah, he's really cute. Like, I've seen pictures. He's adorable. And his head is huge. Like, his head, or when I say his head's the size of Canada, it's literally the size of our cat Canada, who's 15 pounds. So yes. <laughs> He's a big cat. But he's cute. He's a sweet, sweet puppy. Okay, so, Brittany picked the movie this week, but it was our, her second choice. You know, the first choice was... You're next. Yes, but it's not streaming anywhere, and even though we've both seen it, we didn't want to not have it available for people to watch. Exactly, and Your Next is like a really good movie. Um, I actually own it um, on DVD, but it felt wrong to, um, it felt very, very wrong after we asked you guys to potentially rent The Invisible Man to make you rent something else, so we didn't want to do that. Um, so we were talking, and of course, the guest, which is our movie this week, was directed um, by Adam Wingard, who uh, mm-hmm. also directed her next. And it was written, and I forgot to write this down. I feel so bad. Simon uh, Barrett. Barrett, and he also wrote your next. Um, your next is such a fun film. It has a very strong final girl character, which I am a complete sucker for. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I um. I saw your next many, many years ago when it was just on Netflix. And I think my friend Elizabeth suggested it. And we watched it with my uh, boyfriend at the time. And we uh, really liked it. I thought it was very surprising. Also, it brought, um, if you don't know who Barbara Crampton is, she's a pretty fearless scream queen. And she was in The Reanimator and from beyond which i haven't seen all i've I've had a really hard time finding from beyond but she was in the reanimator and if you know about the um the very famous scene where a disembodied head tries to give head to a naked lady she's the naked lady and uh she's just kind of fierce and fearless in that movie like and she does a really good job she plays like uh, she's like kind of a complicated character in Reanimator, but she played the mom in Your Next, and it kind of brought her out of retirement, which is cool because she she's really a really great uh, like screen queen actress. I think she did a really good job in Reanimator, playing like kind of an ingenue who like becomes like more fierce and fearless as the movie goes on. Um, yeah. Anyways, so that was kind of cool. But um, so Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard write a lot of things together 
um, the first thing that was like big that they did together is called A Horrible Way to Die, which I've heard of and I've never seen. I haven't either. Yeah. And by the way, your um, video went out, Brittany. Oh, goodness. Here, I am yeah. here. There we go. Whoa, there, you okay. there you are. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So they wrote that movie, You're Next. And then they also wrote a couple um, of, if, if you ever heard of the anthology series VHS. Oh, my like, God. Yes. Yeah, they did a couple uh, parts of those, the first two. And apparently the third one's not very good. Um, and um, they also, unfortunately, did the Blair Witch remake, which... They apparently, according to an interview, um, if you've ever watched Red Letter Media, they have a series called Review, which I've been mad at them secretly because I was going to do a series called Review. <laughs> and then they came up with it. I was like, damn it, Red Letter Media. All the good ideas. But it's fine. It's fine. They're amazing. Um, but Jay Bauman interviews Simon Barrett because he came on their show about it. And he was talking about how they had actually agreed to do the Blair Witch sequel or the remake, or whatever they we want to call it, um, before they filmed this movie, which, if we haven't said it already, is called The Guest. The Guest. The Guest. And um, they kind of, like, agreed to do Blair Witch after You're Next. Then they said, but hey, we're working on this movie called The Guest, so we have to do that first. And the people that were producing Blair Witch said, okay, cool. And then they came back into Blair Witch afterwards, which Blair Witch just came out in 2018, I think. I feel like it was something along those lines. It wasn't super long ago, but it wasn't, like, brand new either. Yeah. I will say that I haven't seen the Blair Witch uh, sequel, remake, sequel, um, reboot. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's a soft off. reboot, maybe. Oh, I think it's a reboot. Yeah. I haven't seen it. And, of course, it had horrible ratings. Um, but I have talked to a few people who surprisingly did like it. So I need to watch it. There's some stuff that I've heard about that sounds very interesting about it, but I think it was more of an execution thing. And knowing this writing directing team well enough, seeing enough of their work now, I'm pretty sure it was more of a, hey, it's a big budget movie and the producers are going to have more of a say in it than the director and the writer are. That's kind of what it sounds like to me, what happened. Because all Simon Barrett said in that interview was, you know, it wasn't how I intended it to come out. That's all he really said about it. He wasn't trying to be, because they were kind of like, kind of like nudging him like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that terrible mess. Um, but I do think The Guest is a much more competent movie. And I actually, I it's been on my list for a very long time. And I'm kind of glad we picked it because like, it was something I've been curious about for a long time. And it actually was on streaming. And then it went off for a little while. And then I think it just came back on recently because I had, Almost watched it a couple months ago and couldn't find it, but it's back on Netflix in America right now. Yeah, and it's really uh, what I liked about this because um, I went to Blinded. I really didn't know anything about it because we talked about it and we're like, oh, let's go into this movie. Have no idea what it's really about. Yeah. We can make some assumptions based on the title. Um, I actually ended up watching this one with my husband, with my mother, and with my brother, and it was a surprisingly good group movie to watch, which I feel like some of the movies we maybe have watched together, I wouldn't necessarily say were good group films. But yeah, this, Midsummer not a good group film. No, definitely <laughs> or not. Nightingale. Nightingale, yeah, I would say that would be number one on my list of movies that probably wouldn't be a good group movie. Like, like, you, do you like watching people get raped? No. 
Well, it's still a really good movie, so still watch it, but maybe not with other people. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, ah. Um, but this one, like, it was surprising. So after watching it, I had to look it up. And it's one of those movies I was surprised because it was released theatrically. Um, but it yes. flew under the radar. Like, and the thing is, critics really like it. It has, like, a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, like, a, it's like a pretty solidly, positively reviewed movie. But not a lot of people know about this movie. Yeah, I knew about it because it stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey and, unfortunately, the Beauty and the Beast live-action remake. I could not finish that movie. I'm going to be honest. Some people may hate me. Um, I hated it. I couldn't finish it. I was too bored. And um, Emma, what's her face, should not be in a musical. Emma Watson shouldn't be in a musical role. I'm sorry, Emma Watson. I love you as Hermione Granger. I think you've done some good things since then. You are not a good Belle because Belle should have a strong voice because she is a strong person and you're just not a strong singer. And that's not your fault. That is the casting director's fault. Whoever casted that movie is terrible. I do think Dan Stevens was a good choice for the Beast because he does look like Prince Adam, which is the prince's name in Beauty and the Beast. If you aren't a 90s child and don't know. Um, his name is Adam. I had him as a Barbie doll as a child, and there was a little like, "Did you?" Oh my god, it was my yeah, favorite beast, Ken doll. Did you take it off? It was like Velcro. Yeah, it was like a beast hat, and you put yeah. it on, and then you took it off, and it was Adam. And oh my god, he was like so handsome, and he had like long hair, but not too long, like just long enough. Honestly, Gaston is pretty hot too. I'm not gonna lie, Gaston. If he wasn't such an asshole, I'd be like, okay, cool, awesome. Yeah. I do think Dan Stevens was a good choice for the Beast because he does look like Adam. And uh, he has a deep enough voice, and he can be. This movie shows that he can be menacing enough to be a little scary. Um, but the way they animated the beast, like, there's too many. Like, he doesn't look very scary. The CGI is, and yeah. He look. It's the CGI is not good. Also, like, I love Audrey McDonald, but why the hell did you give her a whole other song? Because like, that didn't make any sense. I think I love her. By the way. Audrey McDonald, I met you once after a concert and you're amazing and I made a complete fool of myself because I just fangirled all over you. But she's an amazing singer and actress and I love her so much. She has so many Tonys and she deserves every single one of them. But it's almost like they were like, well, we have an actually good singer who went to Juilliard and has like four Tonys. Let's write her a new song. I was like, okay, but maybe you could have just switched... Like, maybe Mrs. Potts doesn't sing Beauty and the Beast, and maybe just let Audrey McDonald sing it and, like, give the wardrobe a bigger part. I mean, if you're going to, like... It's like Disney will, like, want to, like... <coughs> oh, sorry. You okay, Brittany? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Brittany... Uh, Brittany. <laughs> Disney, they want to mix things up, but not too much. I'm like, if you're going to mix it up, just let Mrs. Potts not sing Beauty and the I Beast will say and this. let the singer sing it. See, I wasn't a fan of the live action. Now, granted, I have very high expectations because Beauty and the Beast is my favorite Disney movie. Um, and I love Belle, and I've always identified with Belle ever since I was a small child. However, um, there were some cool plot holes they kind of fixed. Like, the town had amnesia, and that's why they weren't like, oh, where the fuck is our prince? Like, you know, like, those are kind of things that I'm like, it... But then again, they could have left it ambiguous. It was left ambiguous in the original movie. It was fine. Yeah, but, I, I mean, think they needed it. The I thing was, about Belle's mom was too much. I was like, I don't need to know. Why is there a mystery? Her mom's dead. People died young back then. It's not that big of a deal. Although, Kevin Kevin Klein, good choice. 
good choice for Maurice. Also, Ian McGregor, good choice for Lumiere. Oh, yeah. I like Ian McGregor. Not. Ian McGregor has, even in the terrible, even in, like, the prequels for Star Wars, I still don't think he's that bad in it. I think he's a good, solid actor. And he will always have my heart because Moulin Rouge came out when I was, like, 12. And, oh, my God, please sing me your song again, Ian McGregor. Is he married? Because, like, you know. He, I mean, surely he has to be. Is. He's There's no way. Now I'm just like, is me? Okay, that's something else I like about Dan Stevens, by the way. So, of course, like, I'm like, I have to look up more things about Dan Stevens. And I saw a picture of his wife. And, guys, I did not mean Damn this. Damn it! I did not mean this rudely at all. But I was like, she has to be older than him. Like, she looks older than him. And she is seven years older than him, which is nice. The reason I always appreciate that in the marriage is because I'm six years older than my husband. So it's very important for me to see those younger older women younger men <laughs> i think i think five to seven years is cool because you're like not a decade away so you still oh, have yeah. a lot of the same references it's when you get like like 12 to 15 years where i'm like how do you have anything to talk about like not that it can't work if you're both adults who the hell cares but well, like, I'm does, like what's going on ian mcgregor was married for 12 years has four daughters separated from his wife in 2017 Ian McGregor, I am also single, so uh, let's, uh, <laughs> he's too old for me, it's, it's weird. I'm just kidding, and he has four kids, I don't need someone with four kids. BT Dubs, one of my biggest, biggest issues with Hollywood is when we have movies, and like, there's a man, and his romantic love interests are the opposite, when it's like a woman, her romantic love interest is like 25 years older than them. Have you, like, it's an like epidemic in Hollywood. Did you it's see like, the mummy? Like what oh, we talked about last week? Like uh -huh. Tom Cruise's love interest is like 30 years younger than him. And she's not that good. She I the the girl might be a good actress, but that movie's terrible. Um she's they have no chemistry yeah. at all. It was just like I'm like, Tom Cruise, we all know you're like 60. It's okay. Like the thing is Nicole Kidman, who if you didn't know, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were married for quite a while in the nineties until Nicole Kidman wised up and was like, Huh, Scientology seems like a scam. Allegedly. Don't sue me, Scientology. Allegedly, Scientology seems like a scam. And she got herself the hell out of there, which I think was very smart of her. Well, and so did Katie Holmes. But they were married for quite a long while. And I think they still kind of talk. It's like one of those like we're not married anymore, but it seems like maybe she catches up with him. But Nicole Kidman has aged gracefully, and she takes roles that are more appropriate for her age group. And she does a really great job. Like, if you've ever seen Big Little Lies, she has an amazing character arc in that. And she chose a character who, like, had kids a little older after her career. Like, she kind of gave gives up her career as a lawyer. I think she's a lawyer. Yeah, she is. I'm pretty sure. Um, to have kids, but she kind of has kids in, like, her early 40s, and so she's, like, 50, she's, like, she's a little bit of an older mom, but it, it's, like, yeah, because Nicole Kidman is, like, in her 50s, and she's not afraid of the fact that she's in her 50s. Tom Cruise is, like, no, like, use digital de-aging and give me a 25-year-old love interest. I'm, like, that's just gross now, Tom Cruise. It's just gross. By the way, I will go and backtrack thinking of it. Some one of my best friends and her husband are like ten years apart. So I do like think like ten years isn't that bad, especially when you have I'm sorry, gentlemen, no offense, but women do we do tend to age mentally faster than men. So in a lot of ways when you you know, I don't know what that says for me for having a spouse that's six years younger than me, but usually an older man and a younger woman can be kind of the same mentally. 
Um, but like, and also a lot of times you don't really see a big physical age difference when someone's 10 years apart. Um, it's when you hit like that 20 year mark, like, honestly, though, as long as it's not illegal, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Cause you know, I may, if you were my friend, I might be like, um, you know, that might be rough. Like it might not work out, but you know, what is your life to figure out? And if you want to try to figure it out that way, that's cool. That's cool. Just don't date people that are underage. Yes. Because that's creepy. That's wrong. Um, yeah, we, we might have to get a producer to write down all the things we say so we can know better. Like, when we <laughs> say yeah, something, like, we should go on tangents about certain things. The guests. Um, the guests. So- yes. So, but Dan Stevens uh, is a great choice for this. I think okay. Dan Stevens is great. He's very attractive, and he does a great American accent in this. He really sounds like like a good old boy. Oh, yeah. Like, I I didn't get this in the movie, and, of course, that's the only thing. As, as much as I enjoy watching movies with my family, I like watching movies by myself because I hit the subtitles, um, so there's things I can catch that I don't always catch. Um, yeah. But supposedly, he has a Kentucky accent in this movie. Um, me as a Hoosier. That's what I heard. Yeah, I did not pick that up myself, but it makes sense. So, I mean, it does sound very. I I lived in Kentucky the first six years of my life in Louisville, and it does sound very Kentucky because it's a little bit of a twang, but it's not like an Alabama like hi, how you doing, y'all? It's like just a little bit of a twang, and I think I like those kinds of southern accents. It's just like a little bit of sweetness to that American accent. Um, and he does a really good job. He's very convincing as it. I kind of forgot that he was British for a hot second. And then I was like, oh, yes, yeah, the guy from Down Abbey. And then, like, I was watching interviews about him talking about this. And I was like, okay, he's, like, completely British. Also, I cannot remember what the interview was from, but it was a British show. Actually, I should probably find it. And this woman was, <laughs> she was, like, she wasn't trying to say anything bad, but she was trying to say, like, hey, I bet there are a lot of American actors competing for the role in the guest. And she meant to say, like, you had to, like, compete with a lot of actors, I bet. Oh, it's from Good Morning Britain. And this woman was like, I bet you had to beat a lot of them off. And Dan Stephen just starts, he just starts giggling because she's like, I bet you had to beat them all off. And he just starts giggling. And, like, and he, and she's like, why are you giggling? Because she doesn't realize what, how she's phrased it. And he's just like, he's like, no, it's fine. And then the other host is like, I mean, honey, like, come on. Like, but she still doesn't, she doesn't get it the whole time. It's really funny. And Dan Stevens just like, oh, yeah, I, I did have to compete with a lot of American actors. I'm sure there were a lot of them that wanted it and I had to beat them off. Yeah, definitely. It was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, totally British, which was, I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, Dan Stevens is British. I think he does a really good Kentucky accent. It's very, not Hills, Kentucky, like not Appalachia. Thank God. Appalachia scares me. Like, if you think the South is scary, Appalachia is where, like, all the banjo people live. Sorry, Appalachia. Not, not all of Appalachia is like that, but there's, there's distinct parts that probably don't even get internet to listen to a podcast she's not saying all y'all from deliverance but she's saying some of y'all maybe some y'all from deliverance and y'all need jesus and yes or whatever your deity of choice is y'all need it when we when we talk about getting sued these are the things that get us sued like this allegedly the city of appalachia sizzles a letter what the fuck (laughs) 
No, they know. I mean, it's like people saying people from Alabama marry their cousins. Not one of my cousins I mean, lives in Alabama, so. True. It's partially true, but it's only everyone in 20. I don't. Actually, you know what? My ex-boyfriend's aunt married her cousin. <laughs> like a third cousin. But still, I cannot. I love my cousins, but I cannot imagine marrying any of my cousins. I would be like, no, 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 mm, no. It's just like, you just, it's like there's something icky. Anyways, back to the guest. Sorry, it's yeah. been. <laughs> it's been it's been one of those days. It's been one of those days. It's one of those days. Sorry, we're getting back on track. So, yeah. uh, the main character is Dan Stevens, of course. Oh, we need to do a synopsis. Oh yes, would you like to do that first? I would love to do that first. Okay, I'm gonna let Brittany do it since she picked this movie. Yes. Yeah, so it, this one was a little bit harder for me to condense, but. The Guest, of course, is a 2014 movie directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett. Uh, while suffering the heartbreak of recently losing their son, Caleb, to the war in Afghanistan, the Petersons get a very unexpected visit from an army sergeant named David who claims to have been a friend of Caleb's. David is cool, calm, collected, and seemingly there to help the Petersons in any and every way possible. However, as the town is hit with multiple unexplained deaths, Daughter Anna starts to question, who is their guest really, and is he at all what he seems? I like that synopsis. You did a good job. Jazz good hands. Job. Thanks. Jazz hands. Uh, yeah, I, that was a good synopsis. I don't think it gave too much away either. Um, yeah, so Dan Stevens is the mysterious David. And I like in on the IMDb page, they actually have the name David just in quotations because they're like, is he David or is he not? We'll get to that later. Um, when we get into spoilers. And I didn't know this person was in this movie until I started watching it. But uh, Micah Monroe from It Follows yes. is Anna. I was like, oh, my God. I love her. Uh, yeah. If you've seen It Follows, we did It Follows and Under the Silver Lake as a double feature for episode 10. And um, that was, uh, she's the main character. She's, uh, what was her name? Jay. What? Jay. Jay. I was like, it's a very gender neutral name. Jay and she uh she's really good in that movie. I think she's really good in this movie too. I think this was before it follows. Cause I think that was a twenty fifteen movie. Oh, it may have been. That's a good question. Either it was before or right at the same time. By the way, I don't know if you know, but uh Micah Moreau dates uh Steve from Stranger Things. That's awesome. I yep. love Steve and his hair. Yes. <laughs> have you oh. seen the the uh oh say they were both released the same year so she was okay. working on both of them at the same time um the guy that played steve and the guy that plays um oh shit what is his name uh aziz ansari what is it will's older brother no no aziz ansari's friend from parks and rec oh oh my god you know who I'm talking about. They oh, did yeah. a... Oh, John Ralphio. Sorry. John Ralphio is the character name. They look very similar, and they did a funny interview where they dressed exactly alike, and, like, they kept doing the same mannerisms, like they were mirroring each other the whole time someone was interviewing them about looking alike. It was really funny. Um, but I can't remember the actual... I think it's, like, is it... It's Ben... I think it's Ben something plays John Ralphio. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is Ben. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. Yes. But I love the character of john ralphio it's so funny what is john ralphio ben schwartz that's who plays him 
He's really funny. Anyways, but he and the guy that plays Steve look very similar. Um, anyways, and a lot of people, like, when they were watching Stranger Things, was like, is John Ralphio in Stranger Things? He looks a lot younger than John Ralphio, but he looks very similar. It's very funny. They both have a lot of hair. Yeah. Um, very good hair. Also, Steve became one of my favorite characters by the end of season two. I was like, you know what? I like you, Steve. I didn't like you in season one, but I like you now, Steve. Good for you, Steve. Yeah, I think it's me. Uh, Someone, um, I forgot the actor that plays him. I follow him on Instagram. His name's Uncle Jesse on Instagram. But um, someone updated his IMBD page to say he has four children. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Keery. Joe Keery. I know it was like John or Joe something. Because I was on Micah uh, Monroe's yeah. uh, Wikipedia, and it was like, partners, Joe Keery. And I was like, why is that name familiar? And it's because I've seen it on the Stranger Things title. Also, by the way, the guy that did the music for this, um, Steve Moore, um, I think also worked on Stranger Things. Or Stranger Things was um, inspired by the music of this movie, The Guest. So the Duffer Brothers actually saw the guest and used a lot of the 80s synth music from this movie in Stranger Things. It was a big um, inspiration, which I find interesting because it's such a smaller film um, in comparison to... music also reminded me a lot of Drive. So apparently a lot... I haven't seen Drive yet. Like, it's on my list. I hope we do it for the... I'm saving it for the podcast. Um, That's my excuse for everything now that I haven't seen. I'm like, I'm saving it for the podcast. (laughs) Um, but a lot of people say they have compared it to Drive, although I don't think the movie itself is very much like Drive, no. so much as just the music is. Mm-hmm. But they did also use the same kind of synthesizers as John Carpenter did for Halloween 3. It wasn't the exact same one, but it was the exact same model of synthesizers that they used for Halloween 3, which I actually like Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. It's very different than the first two Halloween movies, which I also really like. But it's, I honestly really like it. It's just different. I actually went out and bought it because I was like, I want to have the first three. And then they get kind of stupid. And then I like H2O. And then they get stupid again. <laughs> so I have a co I had a co worker at Walmart in Halloween 30 season, the witch was the super hard movie. And I was like, Of course, this. I like that one, though. I mean, I like it. It's fun. It's fun. It's very different. It's kind of one of those movies that took Halloween's, like, name and moniker, but it has nothing to do with the other movies. But also, they didn't want Halloween to be about Michael Myers. They wanted it to be an anthology series originally, but everyone was so obsessed with Michael Myers that that's why they did Halloween 2 as a continuation. But originally, it was supposed to be just a Halloween anthology of movies taking place during Halloween. And having different stories, but then everyone was like, I miss Michael Myers. And it's like, okay, well, we'll just but you run out of things when you have the same villain in every movie. Oh yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, so uh we do have Micah Monroe. Also, the guy that plays uh the dad of Luke and Anna, who Luke is played by Brendan Meyer, by the way, who's a younger actor, he hasn't done a lot, he's done a lot of TV. Um, is the same guy that has the monologue in seven. Where uh-huh. he had to like fuck somebody with the knife dildo. I did not know that, that guy. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that until I watched the Red Letter Media interview. And his his scene is is rough because he's like 
like he sells that scene. He does a really good job. His name's Leland Orser, and he, I love the dad's character in this movie because um, it is Simon Barrett said like it was written in the script that the dad has an alcohol problem, but like it's very subtle. And it's very believable because the dad's just always like, I'm about to get a drink. Is that okay? Like, it, it's one of those, like, you know that the parents have had talks about, like, honey, you're drinking too much. I'm worried about you. So then, like, he asks permission, but he's not really asking permission because he has to drink because he is an alcoholic. So I like the subtext of that. But I also like that this actor is very, like, good at comedic timing. So it's kind of funny. And you could understand how, like that could exist in real life. I think he does a really good job. I think the mom does a pretty good job. Who uh, Sheila Kelly plays the mom, but she's kind of more of a background character. Like she has like a good scene in the beginning. And then she kind of like, I don't know. She, she's a little more interesting than the dad, I guess, but the dad's a little more believable. She has a really great face. And I know that sounds weird, but she has like one of those faces you can read a lot of emotion in. I feel like when you're watching her acting, it's more subtle. Um, yeah. Apparently she's on The Good Doctor, and she was on Lost for a few episodes, which I love yeah. Lost. I think she's in more things, because my mom kept just going, I know her from somewhere, and I, I looked up her uh, filmog filmography, and it seems like she's been in a lot of TV shows. Yeah. She looked really familiar, but I couldn't quite place her. And then I went and looked up her IMDb, and I saw an episode of her in Lost, or I saw a picture from it, and I didn't recognize the character, but maybe if I rewatched Lost, I would remember, because I have seen every episode of Lost. It's a good, even though it kind of fizzles out, I didn't mind the ending of Lost. Honestly, I know a lot of people hate it, but I honestly kind of it thought it made sense. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do really like this series, especially leading up to it. The last season's kind of weird, but the, the, the first few seasons are amazing. Um, if you ever watch any and I love movie lists and I love TV show lists and when you watch um, like the top 20 TV shows of this century so far every single time Lost is in the top 5 every single time well, Phil. I mean it was such a, like, a rush and like people watched it every week because it did keep you guessing and I really think um, it's really good and I think it's one of the reasons why J.J. Abrams is so like well known and well established today is because lost people still talk about it yeah. even if you hate the ending people still discuss if they hate the ending or not so i think it's a good show um the only other person well there's two other people that i thought of note was lance Red reddick who's been in a bunch of stuff uh he's a very tall slender african-american gentleman and he has an amazingly deep voice yes and i think he does a really good job he played Oh, I can't remember what his Major character's Richard name. Richard Harper. Oh, are you, oh, I'm talking about the actual guest movie. Are you talking about another TV show? Oh, no. He was in American Horror Story, and ah! I can't remember what his character's name was. But he, like, I think it's Coven season. He, like, takes somebody from beyond the grave. He's, like, some kind of magical person. It's and like, I, Oh, he's, like, uh, Papa. 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 Guinea? Papa. Papa. Is he got a lot of makeup and like dreads and stuff? Yeah, he's wearing a lot what? of dreads. Yeah, Hold he's on. the one that Marie Laval like uh gives the babies to. Yes. Uh let me see. I did not recognize that was the same actor. Yeah, like here's this not that <gasps> you guys can see this, but... 
Papa, what? Papa Legba. I was like, Papa yeah. something. Yes, I, he has, he does a really good job of playing villains, even though he's not really a villain in this movie. Because, like, he just has this way, like, he looks really normal when, like, you see him in everyday life. But he, if he just tilts his head enough, he looks really intense and scary. And also, he was on Lost, too, but I can't remember his character exactly. I do remember him being on Lost, but I can't remember exactly his character because it's been years. I had no idea. I think he has, like, almost, like, um, I don't know if regal's the right word, but there's, like, he has, like, a posture to him that, like... He does. He has yeah. beautiful posture. Mm-hmm. I just, like, he's in so much stuff, and I was trying to look up, and I was, like, I mean, he's just one of those people you see and you automatically recognize. You're, like, oh, I know that guy. Even if you don't remember his name, you're, like, I know that man. He's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of, like, if you see Flo from, like, the progressive commercials, like, I know her. You're, like, I know that face. What? But, uh, no, but I, I think Lance Reddick does a good job in this movie, um, even though uh, one of the negatives comes into place for me, like, when his character appears. Not, it's not him, but the situation, but we'll talk about it when we get into spoilers. And then, honestly, my favorite character that popped up was <laughs> Joel. It's, the actor's name is Joel David Moore, who plays the kind of goofy friend Craig. Craig! And, um, so, Joel David Moore is in one of my favorite television series called Bones, starring David Boreanaz from Angel, and Emily Deschanel, who's the sister of Zoe Deschanel, um, the daughter of, I can't remember their mom's first name, but their mom is also in Twin Peaks, by oh. the way. Um, and they spent a lot of time on the set of Twin Peaks growing up, which is probably why they're such good actors. Um, but... Uh, he plays a kind of goofy intern in Bones, and I love Bones. I've read a lot of the books by Kathy Reichs, and Kathy Reichs is an actual forensic anthropologist, and she's one of the very few forensic anthropologists in the world, and she did a lot of really cool stuff. Like, she's um, solved a lot of murder cases and, like, just unidentified body cases, and um, he's, like, a goofy intern in that show, so immediately when he came in, I was like, I know him, and then I forgot until I was looking him up that he was also in Dodgeball. He's the guy that falls in love with the lady from, like, an Eastern Bloc country. I can't remember the lady with, like, the the lady in red. I can't remember the character's name, but oh, wow. she's, it's like, a unibrow and stuff. Who was played by a really pretty actress, and I can't remember the actress, but it was, like, a well-known actress, but they made her up so much that I didn't recognize that it was her. Um, and he's also an avatar, which is terrible, in my opinion, but... Um, when I finally saw Avatar, I was like, that was, that was the, like, it really wasn't good. But I forgot he was in Avatar, too. He plays, like, the goofy scientist guy in Avatar. Obviously, but as a character type. He, he is, he is a goofy sidekick kind of character, but I really like Bones. If you like true crime, like, TV shows, I think Bones, Bones is goofy enough. Without, but also very science Like, I mean, it obviously isn't super accurate, but it is based on the writings of an actual scientist, which I think is cool. Kathy Riggs is pretty cool. And then in the TV series, Temperance Brennan, the character, writes books about another character called Kathy Riggs, which I think is really adorable. So, like, her character is just, like, the real-life lady who writes books about her forensic anthropology adventures. And, I don't know, it makes me want to go back to college and be a forensic anthropologist because it's a pretty cool study. To just study bones and, like, I mean, they did a lot of work in, like, the um, uh, post-Hurricane Katrina work. 
um, to like, because a lot of people like drowned and like the bodies were lost and a lot of those graveyards flooded and they were having a really hard time getting people back to their original burial sites. So that was a pretty cool thing. Um, so yeah, I actually, I think there's a lot of really good character actors in this movie. Like a lot of them are just like really cool character actors. And I think it's like, it's, it's very much a small town movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, do we want to get into spoilers? Oh yeah. Okay. So. can't really go get, talk about a lot without getting into spoilers. Yeah. It's hard to talk about this movie. So, uh, you want to start, I guess? Yeah. Like so, what happens? Yeah. So the movie's opening shot is literally like, you see this guy and he's like running down the street and it has this like really great, um, if you guys ever have seen Cabin in the Woods, which I love. Um, you know, Cabin in the Woods has, like, it's, like, the title card, and it just, like, kind of pops at you. Like, it's very mm-hmm. 80s, and there's, like, an ominous, like, like noise. And then you see um, the Peterson family, and particularly um, Laura, who's the mother, and it's obvious they're grieving very, very hard over their child dying um, in the war in Afghanistan. And so, you know, um, David just kind of comes out of nowhere, knocks on the door, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I was friends with your son, Caleb. And she's like, oh, my God, this is really unexpected. But, hey, welcome in. And he's so polite, and he's so charming, and he's so sweet, and she's so nice that before you know it, like, she's just offering up her dead son's bedroom to him to kind of chill in. Yeah, that got me a little weird. That was strange. Yeah. I think it's, like, any kind of connection to, like, their dead child so normally, like like a normal person, um, I think this is hilarious that you just kind of like see their teenage son, uh, Luke, who reminds me so much of my nephew. Like it's just a total teenager that he's just like, uh, hi. Like it's so awkward. Right. And then the dad gets home and the dad's just like, oh, who the fuck is this? Like he doesn't say that. But it's basically like how I feel like most men, like including my husband, would handle the situation. Like what the fuck do you mean someone's staying there? Yeah, my favorite quote from the dad is like, what if he has the P- the PTSD or whatever it's called? It's my favorite quote from him. I was just like, uh, yeah, I think it is called that, sir. Um, but then he's also like, David, do you want a beer? Oh, okay. I'm going to have one. Yeah. Um, and I think it's such a good, like, little hint about what's going on in David's brain because, like, she shows him, Laura, before everyone else gets home, shows him, like, Caleb's bedroom. And she's like, just let me know if you need anything. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's, like, totally making eye contact, being personable, uh, connecting. And then as soon as that door shuts, he just shuts down. Yeah. And just, like, just sits down until it's time to go. And there's a lot of um, 80s references in this movie. And particularly Adam Wingard was having like a Halloween slash Terminator vibe. Whereas like uh, Simon Barrett went to do a much more serious drama about like the, this kind of situation where a family's lost their child. But in his original one, uh, David actually murdered their son in Afghanistan and then was coming back for revenge. But then he was like, nobody wants to hear this story because it's too depressing. So he ended up like kind of, kind of merging the two stories together um, which uh, I, I think was a smart idea. I think it would have been really depressing. Yeah. Um, I like the um, idea that's taking place during like the month of October. It's probably, if I had to guess the movie, probably takes place over like maybe a week or so at the most. <laughs> um, and it's taking place. So you're having these very like normal 
kind of movie conversation and events moving along, but there's a very different, there's a Halloween element. So they're like talking, but there's jack-o'-lanterns or there's pumpkins on the table. Yeah. Events are happening at Halloween parties and it's, it's fun. Like it's just like that little added peppered element that kind of makes it really fun too. And there is, um, for it not being, um, Rob, uh, Robert David Mitchell, who did it, follows much like it follows that also, of course, star Michael Moreau. It has a very timeless element to it. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of like technology present, which I think is um, definitely a plus for the movie. And it is like like it's kind of an homage to '80s movies, but they weren't trying to. They didn't want to set it in the '80s because it's been done. And also, like, they didn't want to, like, film grain it. I I, I kind of respect them for that. Because a lot of things will be like, oh, it's an 80s homage. But they'll just stylistically do that. And I'm de- definitely directly quoting from Simon Barrett. But, like, it does, like, you can do that. But, like, look at Stranger Things. There are parts of Stranger Things that are kind of stylistic to the 80s. But it's its own thing. And it's yeah. it's filmed on cameras from nowadays. And the editing techniques are from nowadays. Like, if you rely on style only, it's not going to be any good. It's kind of like uh, Quentin Tarantino's worst movies are still look cool stylistically, but are kind of, like, just kind of weak plot-wise. Yeah. Whereas, like, his stronger ones have really good characters. Even, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't think is his best movie, but I think it's really, really, really good. Yeah. Um, it has really good characters, but I think if you took a couple of those, like... If you didn't have such a good performance by Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, I would say Margot Robbie, but she's hardly in the movie. Her scenes that she is present for, I really, really like. I wish they, I mean, I think that's everyone's complaint about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like, we want it more Margot Robbie because we want to hear more about Sharon Tate as a character, but she's more, she, they made her seem like she was like a main character and she's really more of like a, a catalyst for things to happen than she is yeah. like an actual like main character but I still like her performance as Sharon Tate I think she did a really good job and I really liked seeing the scene where she goes into the movie theater it was just like endearing and sweet I and love makes me just you, so sad for what happened Sharon, like actual clips too because I think it would, yes. a director would just have Margot Robbie repeat the clips versus once again reminding the audience that Sharon was a real person um right yeah and she like, and her family like, gave that movie their blessing too. Whereas they did the murder of Sharon or the haunting of Sharon Tate, starring Hilary Duff. Who I don't have hate for Hilary Duff. I think a lot of people like are kind of mean towards her. I, I think she's kind of like a Tom Cruise, given the right circumstances, she can do a solid job. Um, and I think you know she did work really hard when she was younger in Hollywood, especially like on Disney Channel. That must have been tough, but. I, I don't think she's a good dramatic actress. And I think The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which they're also doing the murder of Nicole Simpson Brown, the same director is. Um, I just think it's like, it's like true crime porn. It's like, yeah. I watched the whole series of uh, All Be Gone in the Dark and I cried. It's yeah. great. Um, did you finish it yet, Brittany? Oh, I have to renew my HBO. So, oh, okay. Uh- um, I, I love my husband, but that's not his strong suit is realizing his wife loves HBO dearly and does actually watch it. So, yes, I it's one thing like I cannot live without once I got HBO. I was like, wow, why did I go so long without it? Yeah. But I'll be on the dark like it it goes into the murders, but it it's so much about the victim's triumph 
yeah. over this monster. And I prefer true crime stuff like that. And I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though it's fictional, also does that because there is a triumphant bit at the yeah. end. Um, and I love it. And what but. I love, too, is, um, so I'm very, uh, the Sharon Tate murders, the Manson murders, are actually, they have a special place to my heart because my mother was actually a child. And she was in Hollywood, she was in California vacationing with family at the time. And oh, when God. When Sharon Tate was murdered, it was kind of like the end of innocence um, in a lot of ways. And my mom, she's like, she remembers very vividly that, you know, like it was all over the news what had happened. And they literally shut the state down. Like they weren't wanting people to go outside or anything. And so my mom has very vivid memories of this from a child. And I I think about this. I think about this poor woman. And um, um, I've read before that, you know, every time um, one of the Manson, main Manson family members was up for trial to possibly get like a pardon or like, uh, yeah, or hearing, yeah, or hearing. Yeah, exactly. Sharon's mom always went to every hearing was there for for her daughter. And then when her mom passed away, her sister started going to every single and her sister is the one that gave permission for Tarantino. Yeah, her sister and her sister spoke out against the haunting of Sharon Tate. She's like, this is despicable because it is. Yeah, it really is. Like you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, I don't really remember how we got into this. Oh, yeah, stylistic we movies. Talking, I'm sorry. Yeah, we were talking about Tarantino and like the kind of '80s and um, the '80s uh, like uh, look stylistic homages. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, but they so you know so it's like David is very very easily uh infiltrating this family's life and then of course they were like oh well you gotta meet our daughter but she sleeps during the day she works at night so you'll meet her later and so meanwhile in this time Dave is actually establishing like a strong relationship with every family member separately he's like infiltrating them and kind of creating a special bond with every one of them and especially uh, Luke who is the brother yes and they really set something really beautiful up with Luke where I'll go into it when we get to the ending, but like they set up this great arc where it comes back at the end with Luke and like how Luke really trusts David and even Anna trusts David too, even though she's more skeptical because she even ends up like she has a conversation with her boyfriend right after meeting him. And she's kind of like, he's like, Oh, you like the new friend? She's like, no, no. I said he was nice. I didn't say I liked him. I said, I think he's nice. And that's all I'm going to say about him. Cause I just met him. So she is the more skeptical person, but even she invites him to come to a party with her that ends up being at Craig's house, the goofy guy and her friend is her friend, Kristen, or is it Kristen? Yeah. Is her friend, Kristen, um, Craig's sister or she's just they're just all friends I couldn't I figure that out friends. okay yeah. um which I I watched it one and a half times I ran out of time to finish all of it a second time because I just had a lot of stuff going on this week but I did watch it one and a half times and I watched a couple interviews just because they were shorter um but uh Kristen ends up like David kind of um protects her from her ex-boyfriend who shows up randomly at the party and um she ends up sleeping with david yeah and uh, uh he seems pretty normal like that's the thing like she's like hey are you into this and she's like completely naked and i guess she doesn't feel that he's into this um physically and then he all of a sudden like just is like yeah i'm into this and then like he just like turns himself on almost which is 
kind of creepy. Like, it's almost like he flips a switch inside himself that, like, yeah, I'm interested in this now. Well, I thought it was also, now that you mentioned it, I didn't think about it being the flip, like the switch being flipped, but that makes sense finding out the later events of the movie. Right. I was thinking that when he restrained her, suddenly it was like, because he flips over and he restrains her arms, it's almost like, okay, now sexy that Maybe. I'm like, more in charge. Yeah. But yeah, I think your I think your um your version of what you think is going on I think actually may make more sense too. Is like I think, almost... Yeah, I think Simon Barrett meant for him to be like a true sociopath, psychopath kind of person because like you think about Ted Bundy and how he was charming and he had a girlfriend who had a child and he took care of that child. He never hurt the girlfriend ever. Like he, if you've seen the, the Zac Efron movie or, and I can't remember the ex-girl, the, I know there's a stranger beside me, but the ex-girlfriend also wrote a book about her life with Ted Bundy. And I've heard her in interviews before. And it is so disturbing because she's like, I mean, like he was great with my kids. I mean, he did eventually break down mentally, but he was very good at turning on a switch to be a person. Yeah. And then he'd turn off a switch and be a murderer. And those kinds of people are so scary because you never know what to expect, which is when you have an ex and they're acting differently, it's okay to be overly cautious with them and not give them the same trust you used to, because I think it's better to be rude than be dead. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, they were going for more of that angle. Although there's also more of a sci-fi angle, which I don't love about this movie. Yeah. Frankly. Um, and I like the parts about David and the party because like, he's kind of joking around with Craig, like Craig's like, thanks for your time over there, man. And he was like, what do you mean? You mean thank for me, but you're, you're going to ask me to help save your ass, but you're not actually going to volunteer yourself to be in the army. And Craig's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, I'm just fucking with you, man. Like he's, very personable and then all of a sudden he's just like hey can you get me a gun yeah you're like why can't you one if you're a soldier why can't you get a gun that was the first thing in my head I was like you should be able to get a gun yeah unless you did something bad because he says that he was in a hospital and that's why he wasn't discharged sooner which is is kind of the truth he kind of doesn't lie because he was in a hospital but it wasn't because of medical discharge um and then he and um, I think Micah Monroe's character, Anna, has a fight with her boyfriend because he wants to be in a band and tour and baby, don't you love that I'm in a band? Yeah. And uh, then she's like, fuck this shit. And she and David drive home and he, she's like, he's like, oh, I like your music. And it's like, it's like she's in this tiny town and she's listening to like 80s synth rock. I know, right? <laughs> like the Cure and stuff. And it's just like, I mean, it's even more obscure than the cure. It's like about, it's like German 80s synth rock. Like about uh, me, me and my brother were talking, so like I'm I'm a I'm a pretty like rocker chick, like in my head, like most mostly alternative rock, but I love rock music. My brother is like straight up metal, and we're both looking at Michael Memorial, and she's gorgeous, but it's also like she's dressing kind of like heavy metal, and then she's listening to like this uh -huh. synth music, and it feels like a very disconnect, like the way she dresses versus like what she's listening to. Yeah. And also like, she's a very pretty girl, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean like pretty girls don't like, like dark I music. Like yeah. I, I like, I mean, I would say people, if they don't know me, probably, I don't know. What do I look like when you see me, Brittany? 
Oh. Like, would, you, would you think I like alternative music? Yeah, I think so. I can see you listening to all, I can oh, see okay. you listening to pop or like alternative. Yeah. Yeah. But I think most people that meet me, and maybe it's because I'm blonde and perky, are like, you must like Britney Spears. And I hate, I do like Britney Spears now, but I hated her when she first came out. I thought she was a poser and I hated her. And I much preferred No Doubt, which maybe is poppy, but No Doubt to me was a lot more serious than Britney Spears, in my opinion. But like, uh, I loved Green Day and things like that. And but like, like, it's funny because Anna in this movie is, like, wearing, like, all these, like, short skirts and, like, skull t-shirts and, like, that kind of, like, gothic, like, yeah, and everything. But maybe they didn't want to go all the way, like, hokey goth, too. Because apparently, like, they are listening to goth rock. But, again, I wasn't alive in the 80s. So, it's, like, 80s goth rock. So, like... Yeah, like, I think maybe they're just trying to be more realistic. Because most people, like, I remember going into Hot Topic and somebody told me I should go back to American Eagle. Like, some little punk kid. And I was like, um, excuse me, I can go into Hot Topic too, asshole. Like, but I mean, there are people that like things that are gothy, but they're not going to go all the way because that's not, like, I wouldn't look right yeah. if I tried to go goth. And what I'm saying cool. is that she looks more gothic but the music she's listening to isn't like heavy. Like she looks more like a heavy metal chick but she's listening to more like classic like you know I think, uh, I think maybe they're just trying to make her look like she stands out from her small town. I think that's, that's more of a thing. I could agree with that. Me and my you know. brother are both laughing because it's like so she goes home and like her and David are having like a little flirtation in the car and there's a scene a little bit earlier where she sees him stepping out of the shower and he's like chiseled as fuck and he has these baby oh, yes. Yeah. He got he got apparently he was in another movie and he had lost a bunch of weight and he put on 25 pounds for this movie but because they didn't film it in sequence it's kind of like some scenes he looks really awesome and some scenes he looks a lot smaller because yeah. he was putting on the weight he's like uh, look fluctuates throughout the movie. I didn't notice that, but that makes sense now. But yeah. it's so funny because it's like they have this little flirtation in the car where he's like, I like your music. And she's like, I'll make you a CD. And then like me and my brother are both talking because like the night passes. You can tell it's morning because like the light is coming through and it's morning. And we both go, she didn't take a shower or anything. Like she's waked up. Her makeup is still perfect. Her hair is still perfect. She's still in the clothes from night before. And me and my brother was like, aren't you going to at least change into pajamas? It's nothing else. So. Yeah. I do love that scene, though, where she's laying on her bed listening to the music she's going to put on his mixtape. And what was the the lyrics are haunted by your soul. And it, it just does one of those, like, cutaways from room to room. I love those kinds of shots where it's like bedroom, wall, other bedroom next door. And it's just David sitting, staring into nothing mm. on the bed. And it's very, very creepy. And also, at some point, he's like, yeah, I don't require a lot of sleep. Also, by the way, did you know that originally David was more of a cyborg than a person? Like he, no, I did not like know that. it was more of a Terminator thing, and they were like, "Yeah, that's too goofy. We're gonna get rid of that." So he does not turn into a cyborg in this movie. Um, yeah, me too. Because it okay. Here's where it gets goofy for me is when Craig takes David out to his like gun buddy. Um, like to show him a bunch of guns in the desert and actually I kind of I like this scene because David's very personable and he's like 
uh, hey, I'll take it. And the gun guy's like, oh, the Beretta? And he's like, no, I'll take all of them. And he's like, oh, okay, well, hey, if you got the money, then I will make you a deal. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to kill you. But he says it so friendly, and you're like, what? And then Craig's like, hey, come on, David, that's weird. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's probably what someone would say. Um, And then he just kills both of them. Yeah. And it's, like, really creepy. And uh, I felt really bad for Craig. And then he frames... Anna's boyfriend, after he hears the dad say that he doesn't like Anna's boyfriend for the murders, and he also kills the dad's uh, competitor at work, and so yeah, he gets a raise at work. When they're, like, sharing their beer together, the dad's like, oh, like, kind of bitching about work. So it's like, he is, like, essentially trying to help to hit this family, but he's trying to help them by basically murdering or framing people, getting yes. them their lives. Um, there is a scene we kind of skipped over, which I thought was really interesting because Taylor had literally the scene came on. Taylor goes, I saw this clip on YouTube. Like he's like, I saw this clip of this movie before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how Taylor stumbled on this YouTube clip, but he actually takes um, Luke to a bar where all yeah. these popular kids who have been bullying him um, are kind of chilling and they're all drinking underage. And David kind of uses his knowledge of the law. So he basically beats their asses because they pick a fight with him and they obviously are uh-huh. the very and this is where I'm like, this is this was the moment that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm seeing a lot of your necks, like the same directing and writing style, because there is a fluidity a fluidity, a fluidity to fluidity? the fluidity, mm-hmm. thank you, to the violence because it is fast, it is sharp, and it is well choreographed. Yeah, everything yeah. looks really good. And it makes sense because David is a trained soldier. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that he would know how to hurt somebody efficiently. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it doesn't seem overly goofy that he's good at fighting. Um, I will say when it does get down to, like, it gets a little action movie-ish at the end. But at least they let him get shot. So he's not, like, perfect. And I, I he's more a little more of a human. It's more believable. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, action movies where a bunch of, like, like tough guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger like they're fighting and there's all these machine guns shooting at them but they never get a scratch on them and I'm like well that's not realistic yeah like, that doesn't happen like very often well, but at least they let him get shot so it's at least more realistic well there's a lot like they're in this scene particularly during the Bard scene with all these teenagers there's a lot of things that he does that you do so what I think is very interesting about this movie, you kind of know from the beginning that David is the antagonist. Like, I feel like it sets it up. Like, there's a certain coldness to the stare, like his look. Oh, and you're, yeah. yeah. You're like kind of like, you know he's the antagonist, but he does a lot of things that wins the audience over, too. Yeah. Like, he beats up the bullies at the bar. You're just like, yeah, kick his ass. Like, Because <laughs> the bullies were dicks. Yeah. So- um, and then he tells Luke, I think a little later on, after the fact, he's like, hey, if they're bigger than you, then go at him with a knife and he gives Luke a knife. Yeah. Which, okay, like, and this is from someone who, uh, like, my family, we like guns, legal guns, and we like knives. I always have a knife. I always have a taser. Don't come at me, bro. I will get you. But we're also very responsible with weaponry and I would never dream of just giving a teenage kid a knife if they didn't know how to use it properly and know how that I would not tell a kid that it's okay to stab someone who's attacking them in high school. Like, especially, like, it doesn't seem like his high school is particularly dangerous. Like, 
I mean, bullies suck, but like stabbing them is not the answer, you know? So, uh, yeah, he basically just tells him like violence is the answer kid. Here you go. Um, and Luke gets on his side. Luke is all like, he's my friend. He won't hurt us. But then, um, Anna decides to call the government because she's trying to figure out he is in a picture with her brother, but she's curious about where he came from because things aren't adding up. And she calls them and you find out that that name, the name of that person is technically officially dead. Yeah. But then it gets into goofiness because then they go to Washington, D.C. They have one of those like scenes where like. And we're in DC, and there's an important meeting going on. And Lance Reddick is like, "Oh, excuse me, I have to take this call. Something's come up." And um, that's a really bad Lance Reddick impersonation. But I'm a lady, and I don't talk that low. Um, But he's just like, "I have to excuse me," and like they're like, "Oh no, where is he? We have to go get him." And they don't give you a lot of exposition. Um, But I kind of wish they had not had that scene because I kind of would have preferred if Lance Reddick and his army bros had just like shown out of nowhere because like shown up out of nowhere because I feel like it would have made you more sympathetic for David because you wouldn't have maybe believed that they actually were from the government for a while until like something bad happened. I think it would have made the moment where David does turn against the family more powerful in my opinion. And I think it was a little silly. I don't know if it was just like, I don't know. Maybe they filmed it that way and it didn't make as much sense. But um, So I also, because my mom and my brother kind of had that problem where my mom literally goes, because my mom knew we were talking about this on the podcast. And she goes, one thing I have is like, I just want to know why he picked the family. And I told mom, I was like, I really feel like during his conversation with uh, Laura is that he did know their son and maybe they were i i'm not sure if i'm cobbling this together if i actually heard it correctly that him and her their son were in the same program he was there to help out the family but at the same time he also kind of has to eliminate anyone that may know who he is so it's kind of like he was there to help but then unfortunately this the the plan went haywire and he had no choice right but to kill them and that was one of my questions for like both of us was like do you think that he was going to kill the family anyways or do you think if lance reddick or major carver whatever i'm gonna call him lance reddick if he and his boys hadn't shown up if it just like if he would have just let them be well he tells anna because you have that scene and this was something i wrote down literally because anna kind of confronts him in front of her parents in front of her brother while he is holding a fucking knife in his hands She's just right. like, he got who, and I'm like, who the hell confronts someone with a knife in their hands? Because it takes I know. I was like, yeah. I would have talked to my parents privately. I would have taken yeah. them aside. And I mean, I know she gets interrupted because her dad comes home and when she's trying to tell them before he's there. And yeah. he's like, oh my God, my boss got murdered and now I'm the boss. Yeah. But I would still have been like, mom, dad, I need to talk to you privately. Exactly. And she doesn't, she like, she like, he literally holding a knife and he goes to the room afterwards and this this scene really stuck with me because he goes, just give me a few days and I'll be on my way. And it made me feel like maybe he really was like, okay, so maybe he's a sociopath, but he was trying to do good. And I didn't know if like maybe he was, he was going for all the different men's families and trying to work with all the families. Like, I don't know if that was, like, the game plan for him. And it just got stifled. 
Or the other question that people brought up, apparently, is, is he actually their son and he just had plastic surgery and he really did want to, like, help them? I don't feel, like, I didn't I don't think he was, but people brought that up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that. I did love, I, I did want to bring up, because there, um, there is a scene, and I, I was like, Kill Bill shot! Because, um, I love Kill Bill, I love Kill Bill as a movie altogether, volume one and volume two. But oh, there's yeah. a scene in over in Ishii's backstory, which is like a, an anime style, like anime by Studio Gonzo. It's my favorite part of the first. Well, okay, maybe my second part. The, the fight scene at the end is pretty good. But I oh, love her yeah. whole animated segment. It's one of my favorite parts. I've oh. like tried to redraw that so many times. I saw it when I was 13. And when I literally said like Kill Bill is the movie that changed my life. Kill Bill was the movie because I love movies when I was a child. But this was the movie that I was like, holy fuck, I love movies. You know what the funny thing is? I ended up watching it on TV with my dad and my brother, and it was on, not Bravo. It was like it, it wasn't TN. Remember, there was like it was on Spike TV. Oh, okay. it was like a man, man hour. But I was like, this girl is cool. I love the bride. She's and Oren was also really, really cool. Like I was like, these people are dope. I love this movie, and it really got me into Quentin Tarantino. I don't think I would have discovered as much Quentin Tarantino if it wasn't for that and my art teacher letting us listen to a CD of movie m- music like because we had to listen to instrumental music mostly like she ever every so often she'd let us listen to Joni Mitchell but mostly it had to be instrumental if we brought it in <laughs> but the theme song from Pulp Fiction was on that CD oh, yeah. and so like I always like those two like things got me really into Quentin Tarantino yeah and I, I loved it. And I remember, like, even as a kid, I was like, because I loved anime. I loved anime. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing an anime scene. I'm like, this is a fucking game changer. Um, but there's a scene where o- Oberyn, as a child, is hiding under the bed. And she just murdered the Yakuza boss that yeah. killed her parents. And she shoots in that guy in the kneecap. And as he goes down, she headshots him. And this was yes. directly replicated in that movie. Yes. I yeah. was like, oh, my God. It, I, I got those vibes, too. I was like, mm-hmm. ooh. Yeah. Also, like the scene where like her parents get murdered in the bed above her is like so sad. Um, like it's it's if you've never seen Kill Bill, well, you should. But if you like animation, um, anime in particular, but just any animation, um, the Oren Ishii uh segment is really great. I'm pretty sure it exists just on YouTube if you just want to watch that. I think it is, and I think it I. I think there's like two versions, maybe I'm maybe mistaken. I think the one that was like the theatrical release was nine minutes, and then the like, uh, you know, like director's cut would maybe be like 13 minutes. Um, either one is just great, but yeah, the over Ishii sequence is just so great. And then, of course, it ends with like the live action of because it's like over Ishii's origin story, and then you see her as an adult, and she's still like this fucking badass. <laughs> Well, I think we've all seen the scene where she cuts somebody's head off and says, any of you bitches. What did she say? Oh, any of you bitches. Any of you fucking bitches bring up my Chinese Chinese half heritage. I will collect your fucking head. Just like Chinese or American heritage in a negative way. I will chop off your fucking head. Just like this motherfucker. And I love you, Lucy Liu. <laughs> the best part is, is that she does it so swiftly. So she cuts off his head. It has like the traditional samurai violence of the blood just flirting. And uh-huh. like her Gogo, who's like her right hand man, and Sophie, who's like her left hand man, are just sitting there smiling, like I'm so proud of her. Good job, yeah. honey. <laughs> I love Gogo. I wish I could go as. I wish I could just dress up as Gogo, but I don't look anything like Gogo. 
When Rory uh, on Gilmore Girls went to a, a Quentin Tarantino party and she dressed up as Gogo because she had the Catholic school girl uniform that looked just like Gogo's outfit, I was like, man, I wish it was brunette because I love Gogo's. Um, her weapon is so yeah. cool. Her, what do you call it? Um, heard, I even had a blank on what you call it, but yeah. mace? Is it a mace. I think it's called a mace. I think that's I, right. I, I love Gogo. I, I also love the scene where she just stabs the guy in the bar. Where he's like, I want to fuck you. And she's like, really? And then she, or I, I think he said, I want to penetrate you. And she stabs him with a knife. She's like, I'm going to, I just penetrated you. And then she just laughs like a psychopath. And you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with her? But she's so adorable looking. Because she's just like, ha, ah, I'm like 14. Ah, and I'm a psychopath. There's like, there's like so many great uh, women like mom like just very powerful women moments in that movie so like one is awful yes. and it's disturbing but of course while the bride is comatose she's basically prostituted out as a comatose victim and the guy that does it his name yeah. is buck my name is and, buck uh, i like to fuck i love it when she slams his head in the door and he's already dead and she gets the pussy wagon keys and she's like pussy wagons you mother and she just steps the fucking door yeah. again like I, he's already I can't dead remember. But, I feel like the Spike TV version had to take the buck and the fuck out. So it was like, hi, my name is Marty and I like to party. And they just like dub over fuck to party. And it's the funniest thing ever. I uh, uh, definitely the Breakfast Club with my mom on like TV. And I think there's a, a literal like um, moment where Bender makes a go fuck yourself or something to that point and it's like literally a dub voice and it says eat my shorts yeah I love I love dub overs there's also a part in the big Lebowski where it's like so you don't I I can't remember what the actual thing that uh John Goodman says but it's like that's why you don't invite a so-and-so to dinner or something like that is what they replaced it with it was like it's like that's why you don't fuck a something and a something it's been, like, honestly, I've seen the dubbed over version that's hilarious more times than I've seen the original version of that particular scene because it's that hilarious, the dub over. Um, yeah. So, anyways, so, we should probably get back to the guest. Where were we? Oh, so we were, and I, I know that's our cue to, like, slowly wrap up probably the next half hour. Although, um, yeah, I was going to say, like, we're, we're almost there, but we still got to go through, like, the twist and turn of the ending. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's really upsetting because it's, like, he kills her mom, and he even's, like, I'm so sorry, like, you know, he, like, says it, like, up until the very end, he's, like, playing it, and she's, like, oh, my God, you know, why are I after you, David? Like, what is going on? He's, like, I'm really sorry, Miss Peterson, I mean, get you all caught up in this, like, you know, and when he stabs her, it does feel like such a betrayal. Mm -hmm. Like it does. Mm -hmm. Like it's so sad. Um, and it, it feels really serious in a movie that has a lot of very kind of fun, campy moments. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he's driving off and he sees her dad, he purposely rams his car into him and he shoots him. And I think Spencer, the dad, is even kind of like David, what? And he just kind of kills him. Like Yeah. That part was probably maybe the worst part was yeah. when he purposely rams the dad because I didn't understand why he had to kill the parents, but I was okay with it because, like, now you know he's actually a villain. Like, and he, nothing will stop him. He is a Terminator. And I didn't know, I didn't know if you caught this because literally um, it was said that um, 
Major Richard Carver did say this to Anna. He said he's programmed, David is programmed to kill anyone that might compromise his identity, and he probably can't even stop even if he wants to. Which like, sucks. I'm like, why would you create something like that? Which she does say, but they do a good job of not over-explaining this situation, which I appreciate. But also, like, sometimes I want a little explanation, but I think it was smarter to not over-explain it. Because apparently they did have more of a background written, but it was just like, just keep it a little mysterious. Yeah. And they said that they did, they, you're exactly right, they did have more of a background to David's story, and it did not bode well with test audiences. They didn't like it. Yeah. Which I think it's fine the way it is. Because, like, both David starts to tell the mom before he kills her, and he's like, you know, it's going to take too much to explain. And then uh, Major Carver's, like, uh, when Anna's like, well, why would you train somebody? It seems really stupid to do that. And he's like, he was a perfect, he's like, oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. And he's just going to like, eh, we just got to get through this situation and then we can talk about it. Um, but I, I love that um, it kind of leads back to, so the parents are dead. The major picks up Anna. Then he goes to Anna's work where her friend Kristen, who he slept with, is standing. And not only does he shoot Kristen, after he finds out that Anna's already left, but he takes two grenades he got from the gun buddy and just like rolls him in the restaurant. I was like, oh fuck. And it, I don't know, there's something kind of comedic about that scene. Like it's sad when he yeah. shoots Kristen, but then he's just like, and I'm just gonna roll some of these in there. And then he just kind of like darts out of there. And I was just like, oh, it's fucking terrifying, but also kind of funny the way he does it. Yeah. Um, also, nobody like ran to help Kristen. Yeah, the, and but then as soon as what the hell, like, because yeah. all the patrons are like, yeah, I was like, wouldn't somebody like run to help her or something? Because he only shot her once, so she might have like survived if someone like moved quickly enough. But then like they, uh, they do start moving when the grenades get tossed in, and then like that's all a distraction technique. Because, like, and I guess also, like, he doesn't want anyone to know where he is. And then they are, tr he knows where Luke is going to be. So he's going to go kill Luke next, I guess. Um, but Luke was on his side. So I kind of was like, why would you even bother killing Luke? You know? Like, he hadn't, I think the only reason he, I thought the only reason he killed the dad was because the dad was seeing him drive away. Like, I, I think he might have let him live if he hadn't seen him that day. One of the most infuriating scenes to me is also how Luke sells his sister up the river, essentially. Oh my He's god, like, yes. Yeah, like after, so of course we uh, skipped over very slightly how Luke defends himself against a bully and in a very justifiable way. And basically, once again, David uses his knowledge of the system to get Luke, instead of expelled from high school, um, his sentence kind of reduced to after school to detention. <laughs> And afterwards, Luke is like, hey, by the way, Anna, Anna, uh, and Luke even cobbles together what's really happening because he's like, hey, Anna doesn't think you're this person. And, you know, I looked up your phone number and it's attached to a plastic surgeon in California, which, I mean, it makes sense, dude. It's okay if you have plastic surgery and you're a different person. I still respect you. We're friends. And <laughs> you yeah. see the look on David's face where he's like, this fucking kid just figured out everything. Everything. Yeah. Well, he's also, like, supposed to be very smart, too. So I guess that makes more sense. But, yeah, he just is like, yeah, my sister's looking up shit about you. So, you know, I don't know what it is. But, you know, you should probably watch out. And then, so, like, David has given him a knife to defend himself. 
Um, he used an in-school suspension at a Halloween maze, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I didn't realize how Halloween-y this movie was until we watched yeah. it. I had no idea that it was taking place during Halloween. But this would be a good, like, October um, movie because it's not heavy on Halloween, but it has, like, a lot of atmospheric Halloween stuff. But they're trying to get through a maze, and I love it because, like, the Major and uh, Anna are, like, She's like, oh, they always do a maze. He's helping, and you have to go through the maze to get to where they are. And they're like, how the hell do we get out of here? He's like, left, right, another left, two rights, and a left. He's like, okay. I have expected the major to, like, just punch his way through the wall and get straight to him. I thought that would have been cooler, but apparently not. Um, So they go to get Luke, and then David comes there, too, and they're trying to escape. And honestly, the maze stuff visually was really good because there's like a hall of mirrors and there's a lot of like trickery going on okay by the way i have to point out so we're like they're like in this small town and i'm just like what kind of small town high school has that kind of budget because it is like a pretty awesome maze it is pretty awesome um and there's some really good sequences where like he's holding like a knife that he just stabbed the teacher with which he just killed the teacher that was being a dick to the Luke so oh yeah Anna tries to call Luke to warn him and the teacher takes his phone away he's like I told you no cell phones I was like oh my god can't you like see that it's his family member and pick up the phone for him like you dick um but yeah so I do like the sequence because Anna so Major what's his face Major Carver and the teacher are dead and it ends up Anna gets the gun and she ends up shooting him. And she does not hesitate. And yeah. I was like, that is what you do. When some, like, she knows what the stakes are. And she's fighting for her and her brother's life. And the brother takes a little bit of convincing. But then I think once he starts, like, trying to choke Anna, he, you know, was like, nope, I'm going to fight for my sister. And he ends up stabbing David with the knife that David gave him to protect himself. And David's like, don't be mad at you. It's almost beautiful. David's like, don't be mad at yourself. Like, this was the right thing. Thank you. And he gives him a thumbs up. And you're like, okay. But then, but then, oh, also he was playing Anna's mixtape the whole time. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Um, but sweet, I guess. I don't know. But then, like, they're, like, out there in the ambulance. And <laughs> then there's a guy... In a fireman's outfit, like, limping away. And they're like, there are only two bodies in there. And there should be three bodies. And then I love because Micah Monroe's character, Anna, is just, like, looks, like, straight ahead. And is like, and she sees the fireman who obviously is David trying to sneak away. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's great. And it's like, it's like a teaser to set up a sequel, but they're not stupid enough to set up a sequel. You know? Okay. So, and I also- love it. I don't know if you ever, because uh, me and my brother, when we were kids, uh, when I say kids, I'm talking about like 11, 13, there was a movie called Ghost Ship. Um, I have and, heard of Ghost Ship. Wait, is I, Ghost Ship the same one where everyone gets decapitated, or is that a different one? Yeah, and that's the opening scene of the movie. Yes, that's it's the so opening bad. scene. It's so bad. Oh, my God. But it was like, we loved it when we were kids. We loved that one in 13 Ghosts. Um, but we loved that movie. But Ghost Ship has a very similar ending. And we were like, Ghost Ship. Like, because <laughs> you're thinking. I've like, only the seen the beginning of it because it's so dumb. Because like, yeah, they're like at a dance 
and there's this little girl and she's too short to get decapitated but everybody else gets decapitated at the same time at this party and it's just the it's just the dumbest thing ever but it's like awesomely dumb so yeah. it's kind of okay um yeah i really i thought it was a cute little homage to 80s movies too because like a bad 80s movie would have a bad sequel but they're not going to make a sequel to this movie. Like, they were not actually setting that up. It was just kind of a joke. Um, which I kind of, I like about these writers. Although Adam Wingard has directed some crappy movies, too. <laughs> but um, I, I think Simon Barrett seems to be, like, maybe a little more mature than Adam Wingard is in his creativity. But they seem to work well together, which I like. And apparently they have a very good partnership where, like, uh, he won't show Adam Wingard a script that's not fully finished and he won't comment on a scene unless Adam Wingard is ready for him to see it like after it's been edited so like I think that's a good team kind of thing because you do like sometimes you get so close to a project that you don't see the weak parts of it and I think it's good to have somebody with like a fresh perspective whether it's a script what like like Montevallo's College Night yeah that's what I say it's like College Night (laughs) Or any any original show you've ever been in, like you need to have outside opinions. Like that's why they have people come and watch rehearsals because I, there are just things that you don't notice when you're so in deep with that. And then people are like, "Why is this going on?" You're like, "What do you mean?" I am, uh, and it's really funny sometimes too. Off topic, on topic. So I I directed when I was in college. I directed a student written show, so it was written by a another uh classmate of mine so I was probably like a junior when she was a freshman but I remember she watched the play and she was so upset uh, over that I had disincluded a kiss where in the screen in the script she had wrote it was like in parentheses I was like they kiss so it was like an action but I omitted it because like I I didn't know it was of that much great importance to her but she was trying to give the actors notes about how they should kiss uh, this was the day before opening. And I was like, oh, no, we're not throwing a kiss in there. So it's very, very funny as a collaborative art. Also, what certain um, writers may get really stuck up on. Um, I think she was overall happy with my directing results. But, yeah, I just it just when you're talking about completed scenes, I'm like, yeah, it just, it just kind of flung me back to that memory a little bit. Yeah. And I've been in shows where, like, I had to like I was in a show written by. Uh, not Lydia, it was another show I was in that was an original show. And it I actually really liked the story, but the vernacular that my character's lines were written were just not natural feeling at all. And uh, it's a person who's kept writing, and I am confident that they've gotten more comfortable with writing, like, dialogue. Like, their stories were really good. Like, they, they wrote a couple plays, and I really, really liked their stories, but sometimes, like, acting, sometimes writers, like, uh, don't write things the way people actually talk. And it's hard as an actor to make it sound natural. And I kind of just, they didn't care. They did not care. But I completely changed how my character said a bunch of lines. And they ended up rewriting it when they finally submitted the script to, like, and that's why you need to, like, work plays out in real life. I've done the same thing. Like, sometimes you just write things and it doesn't make sense in practice and that's why you have producers and assistant directors and editors to make things make more sense yes and i would agree with that and that's why um theater and film should be a collaborative effort um, yes definitely 
is yeah definitely I agree um so do we want to go is there anything else we want to talk about final thoughts I think um I kind of hit on everything personally I really I like this movie um I think it was fun I don't think it's something that takes itself too seriously. And I feel like I didn't have to take too seriously. Like, it, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Everyone I watched it with enjoyed it. It didn't keep me up with any hard-pressing questions. It didn't make me depressed and wonder what was life about. Like, I don't know. It's just a fun movie. It's That's definitely like a, it's like a popcorn flick, you know? Yeah, I would say it's more of a fun movie than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be much darker, and it was ended up being much more fun. I think the only thing I really didn't like was, like, it got a little, like, uh, there was, like, a couple shootout scenes that were a little action-y that I wasn't really uh, into, but it ended up being fine, because the whole movie didn't end up being that. It was just kind of one scene, and... Um, it was, I mean, that's probably in the Army Washington, like the Washington, D.C., like official government thing. I kind of wish they just cut that part out, yeah. honestly. But it wasn't like, it didn't ruin the movie. I just think, I don't know if they added it to make more sense or what. But I will say the writers said that, the writer and director, the creators kind of said, like, we did want something to ramp up until it was going off the rails. Like, we understand that the ending goes off the rails, but... We were trying to make it earned. I think it's pretty earned. I think it's a little silly, but not too silly. Definitely. So, I I like it. I would give it definitely, like, I would give it, like, a solid, like, 5.5 out of 10. Like, maybe a 6 out of 10. Like, I don't think it's brilliant, but I think it's a solid film. And you should definitely see it. Yeah. If you like, kind of, horror movies. Halloween movies. I would say, like, a 6.5 or 7 for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I'm being harsher. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't think it was... I, I love the beginning, and I like the very end, but the middle was kind of a little silly for me, and it kind of took me out of it. I didn't really mind him killing the parents, which apparently is where a lot of people have a problem with it, because he's a villain. And I think too often, like, we have horror movies where, like, everybody who's good gets spared, and I just don't think that's realistic. I know like, you- you know, victims are good people, and victims, I guess, can be bad people, too, but, you know, a lot of times, bad things happen to good people, and that's really sad, but, you know, I think it's more truthful, so I actually was okay with that part, but apparently a lot of people don't like that, and it's a movie, so I get, like, if somebody's, like, having a popcorn movie, it was a little shocking when he stabbed the mom, because I was like, oh, man, did you have to kill her? Like, that was... But it wasn't overkill. It, it wasn't like he stabbed her multiple times, too. No, but not- he, he did, like, turn... You could hear that he was, like, trying to make it quick. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the dad. Like, instead of just letting him die, he shoots him when he doesn't die on impact in the car accident. So, I mean, like, it's kind of a mercy kill, I guess. I don't know. It just sucked. But, um, yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure, like... I, I pretty much like the ending. Do you? I liked the funny ending too. And yeah, uh, yeah I think we touched like on everything it. I said. I like it how um, Anna had like a legitimate, like, what the fuck reaction. Cause it wasn't uh-huh. like, a, I'm terrified or I'm scared or oh my God, he's alive. It's just like, are yeah. you kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like everyone watching the movie would be like. So I liked it. I thought it was a good wink and a nod, but not, not too silly, just silly enough. I think it's, it's, 
silly but serious and I think it's a good movie and I think you should definitely add it onto your like casual Halloween watch list um because I think it is it's got a nice Halloween atmosphere yes so and I, I I do hope one day we can do your next because I haven't watched it in such a long time but I remember really 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 liking it and I do think maybe it's it's a little bit I think a little more true to horror yeah, in this movie. It's more gory, and, for sure. Yeah, but it's also very, like, it's more of a black comedy that I remember, but also, like, I just remember really liking a lot of it. And I don't remember a ton about it. I remember loving it, but I hope we can revisit it. Because, and honestly, like, they haven't really done a lot together since the Blair Witch. So I hope Blair Witch didn't um, scare Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett away from each other because I do think they're a good creative team and I hope that they um, can come back together um, also apparently Nicholas Winding Refn like made fun of them because he thought they were like also they were working on this movie for years before Drive was in production this was yeah. already in production when Drive came out so but apparently he was kind of harsh with them Oh, but also apparently this is I got this from the Red Letter Media review about the guest. There is a I need to watch the whole interview, but there is apparently an interview of William Friedkin interviewing Nicholas Winding Refn. And he's like Nicholas Winding Refn's like, I think only God forgives was a masterpiece. And he's like, well, what do you call Citizen Kane? Then he's like, I mean, it's good. And he's like. What the, and I think he says, like, shut the fuck up or something to Nicholas Winding Refn. It's apparently very intense, and I really want to watch the rest of it. What movie did he think was good compared to Citizen Kane being okay? Only God Forgives. Oh. A movie that I haven't seen, but I added to the podcast list because I want to see. After I saw Neon Demon. I haven't seen Drive, but I've seen Neon Demon, and I really like Neon Demon. I really like Drive, and Drive is one of those movies. Okay, this sounds very fucking pretentious and i do apologize um <laughs> it's one of those movies that i i saw it and i loved it and then when so many people were like i fucking hate drive it had no point i was like oh i'm a critic like this is like this is like one of those things that made me realize that oh shit like i don't like what most people like so yeah i i can't remember what movie made me feel like that but there's a bunch of movies that i was just like and it's just like that's when i realized we needed a podcast because i kept boring my coworkers with like hey did you see the latest french cinema film or oh did you see the original old boy not the american remake did you see the one they're like yeah i liked the remake i was like no like the korean version yeah, like the remake's that's... terrible like, but it's Spike talk- Lee. I'm like, it's not a good Spike Lee movie. If we ain't talking Odasu, I don't want to talk. Odasu. I love that movie. <laughs> I mean, it's so fucked up, but I really, it's such a beautiful movie. Um, Yeah. You know what movie we forgot to like review episode of our favorites? Parasite was also a movie, a, a show that we could not stop talking about. I love Parasite. I feel like our only downside to the Parasite episodes maybe mean you should have gone, mean you should not have gone for every single event that happened in that movie. I know, it's, <laughs> it was so hard to edit because I was like, I don't know what to take out. I think it was ah. like you were narrating the movie. It was almost like in real time auto commentary. We're like, and then like, my mom just done that. <laughs> my mom accidentally, for example, the other day, uh, Taylor knows the term, and I forgot it. I'm so sorry, but my mom was watching Rocket Man. 
And literally there was a voice that was like, his father goes to the bookshelf and picks up a book. And it was like the movie was on the screen, but it was almost like narrating. And Taylor was like, oh, you accidentally oh. turned on. Yeah. Yeah, it's for like uh, visually impaired people. Mm-hmm. So they can know what's going on. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's called, but it is like it's like it's kind of like closed captioning, but for visually impaired people. I've actually turned that on before too. So oh. did you did you have a rating for this movie? I did. I don't know if it's the best one, but I did rate this one T for test subjects and thumbs up. Oh. I rated it, it's a quote from the movie, rated P for the PTSD or whatever it's called. Because yeah, I don't know why that's... It. What? I like it. You, okay, you want to go with that one? I think so, yeah. Okay. I, think that's <laughs> I don't know why that line stuck out to me. It's just the dad... By the way, we are not making fun of people with PTSD. You don't think people oh, think we're making fun of people with PTSD, do you? We know. I hope not. Uh, no. No, we are not, and I hope if anyone has any questions, they will reach out to ask us, because we take that kind of stuff very seriously, but it's also, there are people in the world who don't take it seriously, or who are not educated about that, so um, we are making fun of people who are not educated about it. Yeah, so, but if if we feel like, if we get to that, we might change it back to Brittany's, if we feel like it's insensitive. Uh, Anyways, yeah, I... It's my turn. Okay, so, so anyways, so we're gonna watch Nightcrawler. Um, if you've never seen Nightcrawler, I mean, watch it. Obviously, it's on Netflix. Um, it is a very creepy movie about the seedy underworld of taking crime photos. Ooh. And Jake Gyllenhaal is a fucking creepy man in it. Um, oh, it's the same guy that also directed Velvet Buzzsaw, which oh, I've okay. heard very differing. Things. It's, oh, he wrote Velvet Buzzsaw. So it's visually beautiful too. Yeah. So Dan Gilroy, I think, is generally um, a writer, but his older brother is a director and screenwriter too, and um, he is is married to I think still Rene Russo, and he also was involved with the movie Roman J. Israel Esquire, which I haven't seen, but it was like a, uh, I think it was a Denzel Washington vehicle. I like part of that one, for sure. Yeah. Um, but Nightcrawler stars Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Rene Russo and Riz Ahmed, who I think was in The Night Of. You will recognize Riz Ahmed. He's like a really, really cool, he's a British actor, um, and he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was in The Night Of, and apparently he was also in Venom, Venom which I haven't seen yet. Um, but he was the main character in The Night Of who gets accused of a crime, um, which I've only seen the first couple episodes of The Night Of, but I heard it was really great. Um, but he's he's uh, a supporting character in this. So those are really the three characters that I remember, and they all have really good performances. And I haven't seen it in a long time. I only saw it once, but it it was one of those movies I got really fired up about after I saw it. I was like I remember talking to my boyfriend at the time and was just like, oh my god, this movie and blah blah blah, and oh my god, so I think there's going to be a lot to talk about with Nightcrawler um, especially because it was one movie that not a lot of people saw, I think because it, I will say the poster looks like the drive poster 
because it's it's like a car and Jake Gyllenhaal, and I think a lot of people get him mixed up with um, uh, what's his face, Ryan Gosling, because they are like they all they both play similar characters, they do similar films, and they're the similar ages, and I feel bad because I don't think they're the same actor at all. I think uh, Jake Gyllenhaal has a much more like dark look about him. And I think Ryan Gosling, I'm sorry, I just see the guy from The Notebook a lot. I think he's amazing. I love Ryan Gosling. I think he's a great yeah. actor. But I think Jake Gyllenhaal goes to a lot more deep and creepy. I would, it's like, bad. I think he's, go ahead. In my, in my head, like, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think of two roles. I think of Donnie Darko, and I think of right. him as being Jack Twist in Brokeback Mountain. Those are, like, the two things I go to. I just looked up and it was like we've been we've been together for four hours and thirteen minutes. Not that I don't love you, but I was like I noticed we were both yawning and I was Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like I'm kind of getting a second wind, but my throat is like so dry and my body's like stop talking and you stop talking. Um but we've been you know, we only talked about the movie for like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, so we won't have to cut that much out. And we did take a bathroom break in the middle of it. So you know, yeah. it'll be okay. But uh, we are going to have to say goodnight because even though we're both off work tomorrow, we both have errands to run. Because when you're an adult, your day off isn't really a day off. It's actually just a day to do all your adult stuff on. <laughs> um, but we're going to watch Nightcrawler and talk about it next week. I'm really excited because, like I said, like I remember having a really positive experience watching it. And a real visceral experience. I wouldn't even say positive because it is kind of a horror movie. It's It's a movie that kind of toes the line of being horror and thriller. I'm not really sure what to call it. I think it'll take me watching it a second time, but I had a visceral reaction to it. I really did enjoy it. Also, I had a dream that the movie Raw was back on streaming, and I don't know if it is, but God, I hope it is, because I can't wait until we can do that movie, because yeah. I loved it, and I don't think you've seen it yet. I haven't. It's so good. Ah! Um, but yeah, so we're gonna say goodnight. Goodnight, y'all. Stay, su- night, stay spoopy. Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. And we'll see you next week. Good night, Brittany. Good night, Katie. Till next week. Till next week. Good night. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.